We are aware, oh God, of your extended arms that reach down to love us, to take us into your arms and to guide every step we take. We are aware of the love you shared with us in Jesus and the power you've given us in the Holy Spirit. We are aware, Lord, that you've called your church forth to be your witnesses. Aware of all these things, united together, we give you thanks and praise and ask for you to bless all we do today in the name of our Savior and your Son, the Christ. Amen. Please remain standing. Before I read the scripture and go into the message, I just want to remind you that today's communion rail offering will go to Hearts for Cambodia. You can make your check out that way, or if you need to make it out to the church and have us send the money on to Hearts for Cambodia, that's fine. We will take cold, hard cash. We're going to build a church while Chiv is over there. He's going to be there six to eight weeks. We need about $4,000 this Sunday and next Sunday in order to rebuild that church. But you know what? That won't give any money left over to buy Bibles that they're intending to buy or to help what are very scant uh, plannings for them to live on while they're over there. So if you're so led and you want to give something extra, it will all go to Chiv and Emra as they go. And we will pray for them next week as they prepare to go and minister in the power of the Spirit. Speaking of which, there's a little story about the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. Having Pentecost's arrival and all that went forth, the Scripture says right after telling us, about how many people were baptized, the writer writes, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, God, if you will, present and planning to stay with believers until Jesus returns. No more rushing in or out, but yet one mighty appearance in rushing winds, tongues of fire, communication between people of various nations, tuned and blended in with ecstasy, bold preaching, and unbelievable response. Souls on fire when the heavens were opened up. What a day and what an event that must have been. I bet, Mike, they were probably in the back room at that time planning how to show tongues of fire, you know, after that, right? They were thinking about how to decorate up a sanctuary. Okay, not really. But if they had it, it would have been a good idea. Because you see, from out of the hearts of inspired people come inspired visions of what it means to be the church. Pentecost is all about that, and I'm sorry that the church has not given Pentecost its fair due. I'm sorry that on the Christian calendar currently, Pentecost is remembered one Sunday and the church wears red, and then the rest of the church goes to green at that point, except wherever I'm pastoring. 
I've kind of made a change in the liturgical calendar because I don't think we need months and months of the Christian calendar in a year all about learning to only one Sunday about the Spirit. So we will continue to wear red when we wear robes, which won't be often, but you know that the decorations will stay up because for two months we're going to dwell upon, dwell with, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Because without the Holy Spirit, church would simply not be church. Without the Holy Spirit, the work of the church seems boring and tedious. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, a church cannot be united. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, a larger church, a gathering of congregations, as you will, cannot function together unless they are endued with the power from the Holy Spirit. It's simply not possible. We're all too weird. We're all too set in our own ways. We all like things the way we like them. And unless the power of the Spirit overcomes us and brings us together, we have a hard time getting along. Some of you are thinking right now, well, yeah, but the Holy Spirit has come to me and I'm having a hard time getting along with, okay, whoever, pick your person. The preacher, well, I'm sorry, Cindy's working hard. Reality is, yes, people, there are clashes always in churches between individuals, between committees, between different ideas about what God is calling us to do. But in the end, if churches are faithful to seek the Spirit, that people overcome their differences and they unite and become one voice. And when they do, it looks like Pentecost. And do not be misled. Every church should be like these verses. Every church should be like these verses, Period. They should be sharing things in common. Let's look at the characteristics of this church. Because, you see, this was not the end of the Spirit's work or the church. This was the beginning. And I believe the best is still yet to come for the church of Jesus Christ. As sure as Jesus was born of Mary, as sure as Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose on the third day, and as sure as the Holy Spirit swept down upon those first believers and more than 3,000 were saved, The body of Christ is alive today, and the Spirit of Jesus is alive today because of the work of the Holy Spirit. We must not lose that. The community, this is a community of witnesses, just like Jesus said it would be in Acts 1.8. Let me refresh your memory. He said to those disciples right before the ascension, It is not for you to know certain times or epochs when the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And that task is still being carried out today in the power of the Spirit. That's why we lay hands upon people who are going off in mission. We don't want them to go just as they are, good people, believing Christians, smart people, dedicated people. We want them to go off on mission inspired and filled by God's own presence, His Holy Spirit. Because it is that that will overcome everything they lack in countries which, quite frankly, are so much different than our own culture. That health, that strength, those words, that empathy that they can communicate to the people around them only happens and rings true when the Spirit of God is turned loose in his believers. So when we think about this community, when we think about what they were, what do we see? This community of witnesses were 
First of all, spirit-connected. They were spirit-connected. They all had had a common experience at that time of the Holy Spirit rushing upon them and putting them together as a community of faith that would become known as the church and the birth of the church. It goes on to say in the words of the Scriptures, they were united in the teaching of the apostles and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayer. Every church must be revolving around those things. Every church, not one of those things, not part of those things, but all of those things. A church is not fully a church, and it's not fully using the Spirit's power, and yes, they are so connected to the Spirit that these things are happening. Let's talk a minute about fellowship. I want to talk about that. Teaching, we get it. They had to learn from the apostles what it means to be a Christian. And that, that work goes on in the life of believers constantly. Constantly. It begins when a person first, before a person even knows it, really, that God is wooing them and bringing them to Jesus. And then when they make that commitment, they think, I've arrived, I'm going to heaven. Yes, they are, but they're not fit for heaven yet. <laughs> In fact, they probably won't ever be fit for heaven, truth be known, but by the blood of Jesus, they are. But along the way, what they're going to learn and identify with is they're going to learn who God has intended them to be when his spirit put them together. A mighty, powerful force of believers who were such powerful witnesses, such loving witnesses, such merciful witnesses, that all the people, all the people looked upon them with favor. Wouldn't you like to be alive in that world? When all the people... The followers of Christ are looked upon with favor. Now, that is opposite of what we're seeing today. It's probably a 50-50 split. Church doesn't get it done for a lot of people today. And I say, well, yeah, but that's just a church. It's not the church. In the eyes of many, I'm going to call them the lost generation because so many of them are lost. They're spiritualists, but they're not in the church. They're not in the body of Christ. They're not dwelling on the teaching of sound doctrine. They are spiritualists seeking God, and they're running right by Jesus because of the church and the way they define it. Our job is to become so favorable in their eyes that they will listen to words of truth. Our job is to be so loving with acts of mercy and intercession and involvement in their lives that they cannot ignore the power of God's love in us coming through us and reaching out to them. Our job is is to witness to them. Because when we do that, it is God's power at work in them, not our power. And any time the church fails to teach, fails to witness, the church is going to struggle, individually and as a whole. Not only are we united in teaching them, we're united in fellowship. That's so important. And, you know, let's just admit it. How well do you think most churches do in fellowship? On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you want to give them? And we're not talking about us. Of course, we wouldn't do that. We know we're probably 10, right? But what are the rest of, what are the church in general out there? Do churches really know their members in some way? Are they really caring for them? When they hurt, are they really hurting with them? Are they aware when they're struggling in their homes and in their marriages? Are they aware when their finances are a disaster and nobody seems to know? Are they aware when they're in the hospital Are they aware when they're dying before it becomes common knowledge? I don't know. I believe the Methodist church seeks to do a pretty good job of that. And sometimes we think that the smaller the churches can do that, but the bigger ones just can't do it. That is 
an outright, bald-faced lie of the devil. The devil wants you to believe that church can get so large that they don't have time to care for each other. That's not the way God planned it. God didn't mess up. We have. Every church can be organized into fellowships that eat together, talk together, and pray together. We're going to start addressing those things this coming fall when we lay out the fall plan of ministry. We're going to be praying together. We're going to be eating together regularly, not once or twice a year on special occasions. We're going to be listening to one another. We're going to be getting fired up by one another. We're going to be praying for one another. We're going to, in short, be this church right here. We're going to break bread together, both in communion and in other ways. We're going to do that, and it's going to make us stronger. But churches are not only spirit-connected. They're also spirit-fed. When churches are spirit-fed, the individual people are being touched by God. They're being transformed by God. They are being spirit-empowered witnesses. That's what touching and transformation does. You say, well, but I've been touched, and I've been transformed, but I don't feel like a very good witness. Well, what are you waiting on? Waiting on a special invitation? You are the witnesses. That's what we need to be telling people. That's the pattern we need to be setting. If you're calling the pastor and saying, Pastor, there's a family you need to go visit because they really need to hear the gospel, I'm going to start saying this, and so is Cindy and so is Chip. When you call us and say that, we're going to say, that's great. Go ahead and begin right now and let them know we're coming and get back to us and tell us how you're doing. If you've been led to somebody, you're the one that's supposed to be giving the witness. The Spirit just doesn't speak through Chiv and Cindy and I. That's not the way it works. I know that churches would like it to work that way. And if we told you that was the whole end of the church, you'd hire three more preachers and go, man, we got six now. We got enough. The rest of us, we can just pray for them to go get it done, right? Professional ministry, they call it. The church fell into that trap in the 50s and the 60s, and it's a killer. It's a church killer. It's a witness killer. It's a killer of the church of Jesus Christ. Whenever you think that you don't have a witness to share, You're not just hurting yourself and the joy you receive from doing it, although that's huge. You're hurting the body of Christ because God has put you in a spot where you are uniquely qualified to speak. You say, are you trying to make us feel guilty? No, I'm trying to make you feel spirit-led because that's what you say you are, right? You know what the bishop said to me once about this congregation before I was your pastor? You know, new bishops get opinions. I won't call the bishop's name, but I guess it's kind of late for that now. I already started the story. Oh, well, I'm close to being done, right? He said, a church like this, how does this happen? A church like First Methodist Church Carrollton, filled with Bible-believing, Bible-studying Christians, spirit, spiritually alive, professions of faith, very few given the number of members. You know, at the time, I thought, well, Bishop, that just happens sometimes. I don't, you know, I don't really know much about that church, but uh, I sure didn't know I was coming here. I might have been paying more attention and asked for more information from the Bishop's perspective. But all I had to do to prove out what he was saying is just to look at the records and see what had happened to attendance and to membership in the last decade, in the last two decades, in the last three decades. Now, I know... You say, I thought you were going to quit talking about that. Well, I am just as soon as I get a sense that most of you are turning it around in your own life. This is a time where I usually say, look to your right, look to your left. 
Those two people are not the only ones supposed to be witnessing. Then look down at your little bottom and go, that bottom is supposed to be given a witness for Jesus Christ. Because you're in the unique places of your life. Is that literal enough for you? Anybody miss that? There's not a chair that's warm in the sanctuary right now that's not housing a witness. Are you understanding that? Thank you. I may enlist you to help me check up on how many of those people are putting what they believe and who they say they are into practice. There's not a wrong place or time hardly ever to give a witness for Jesus Christ. Sometimes you may never mention Jesus' name. It may be something as simple as a loving, kind, merciful moment with a human being who's struggling. That's where Jesus went when he came and walked this earth. That's where we need to go. Sometimes we have to begin right in our own midst. In fact, we have to do that continually because we're stuck together. We're stuck together. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you're hurting and I'm not hurting, then there's a problem. And it exists because the Spirit is not overcoming things that keep us apart. The church of Jesus Christ is Spirit-powered as well as spiritually connected Spiritual power because they're being spiritually fed. Third thing and the last thing. These witnesses are spirit blessed. They were glad. They had sincere hearts when they were meeting together all the time. In other words, there was a sense of joy deep down inside that was permeating that first church as they were gathering together. It was just not joy that that they were experiencing daily people were being added to their fellowship. God wants to pour out those blessings. He wants to open up the heavens and pour out his spirit upon his people. God has not slacked off on that task. The Holy Spirit has not grown weary over the years. The Holy Spirit is ready when churches are ready to surrender their lives in fellowship with one another. That's what happens when we pass the plate. You give offerings above and beyond what you had pledged to give to the church for mission work to help families that are struggling. That's what we're doing. We're allowing the Spirit to flow through us. We're allowing the Spirit to have control over our possessions. That's what we're doing when we're making a decision that a ministry has come to its end. The Spirit is leading us to replace that ministry with something else. That is what we're doing when we're building up ministries that still seem to have life in the church and we keep pouring resources into them because we believe that God is still at work through those ministries. It's not an individual ministry that is the focus of the kingdom of God. It's the ministry of the whole church. When something quits working, spirit-fed people know it. And when they know it, they alter things in their lives in order that the experience of being fed and happy and joyful comes again. And you say, well, that, that sounds a lot like change, and we don't like change. I know we don't like change. You don't have to change. You can just stay the same and die. I mean, really? Who's here that doesn't know you have to change? You know? Who, who's here that thinks you can still teach the way you taught in 1960? Somebody told me something not long ago about the way things were in 1980s. That's what we need today. And I said, yes, except we need to do it in a way they can hear it in 2015 because the culture has changed. It's a different world. Things change. We have to change. And if we dig our heels in, we're not going to accomplish that change, are we? Are we? No. 
if we don't accomplish that change, what's going to happen? People aren't going to hear a spirit-led witness, are they? People aren't going to be drawn to the church every time we clam up and refuse to say what we know to someone hurting. Quit being afraid of how you say it. Quit being afraid of looking for a formula. You know how to care for people. Is there anybody here that doesn't know what to say to their grandchild? Would you raise your hand if you don't know what to say to your grandchild when you see them? You know, you walk into the house, you haven't seen them for a few days. Papa! Papa! Now, I can't go to her first because Mike is a little sensitive about Papa taking her away from Mama. So I had to come in and not say anything. Miller says, Papa's here, and he comes running, and Micah comes around the corner and peeks and looks, so I act like I don't see her. And then she keeps coming closer and closer, and then she says, Papa, Papa. I said, Papa, don't give me a hug. And if I don't go for her and let her come to me, if I don't go to her and let her come to me, she's all ears to throw herself in my arms. You can't run over people to tell them about Jesus, but you need to be ready when you see them inching toward you and saying, can you help me? Do you care? Do you love me? Will you give of what you are and what you have for me? Will you include me in your fellowship? Am I worthy to be loved? And if you just bend down and receive them, people will be coming to you in droves at the places where you work and the neighborhoods in which you live, in your normal contacts in your family, in all kinds of places. And then all you have to do is just look at them like you're looking at your grandchild, because you really are. You're looking at a child of God. Spirit-fed church, a spirit-led church, a spirit-empowered church that's connected and staying connected in a continual way with the Spirit is a spiritually blessed church. And the things they can do, it's incredible. Cindy, sure, y'all need to come on. Where is that spiritual church today? How can so many people be so hungry for God and not be coming into the churches of Jesus Christ looking for that spirit? I don't want to hear, well, you know, they they need to understand. No, we need to understand. We need to empathize with every hurt person. We need to love them in such a way they cannot ignore the love of Christ flowing through us. When Chiv goes to Cambodia, he'll come back, not the plump self you see now. (laughs) He'll come back worn out, skinny, sweating day and night, riding that motorcycle down around the mud and the slop and going to all those villages and saying, your pastor's coming. And he'll be baptizing people because people believe every time he goes. And the church grows in that place. They're no different in Cambodia than they are right here. We're just not afraid to go over there. We're kind of afraid to go next door. What an irony in the church of Jesus Christ. The Spirit is seeking to overcome our holding back.